You're listening to Can I Say That, a project created by Brenna Blaine in hopes of engaging culture as Christians in a post-Christian world. Here, we hope to ask the questions we sometimes ponder, but rarely have a chance to ask in the church. Jesus said, He is the way and the truth and the life. So we hope we can engage truth together and in extension, know the eternal life He offers. Hey friends, it's Brenna. I cannot believe it is the end of the year. I think 2021 went by faster than any other year I've ever lived. And COVID feels so strange because it's like some of the months are like, is this a year? And then other months it's like, what what happened? And this feels like a really good time to do some comedy, but I'm also by myself and I feel like I would just talk for a really long time and I would laugh at my own jokes and then you guys would be like, we're done with this. So anyway, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, but just know that I want to and I'm practicing the spiritual practice of self-avoidance. Is that, that's not right. Anyways, don't, self-avoidance, I don't know what that means. I should look it up afterwards don't. It is not a spiritual practice. This is getting long. Anyways, I am really excited about today's episode and it just feels right to end the year with it. We interviewed Lori Krieg who talks about how we can support LGBTQ youth in faith communities, specifically in faith communities that have a non-affirming stance. What does that look like? Some people would argue you can't. You can't support LGBTQ youth if you are non-affirming. But I think Lori had some really interesting insights to share with us, and I cannot stop thinking about this episode because two things really. The first is I get a little emotional in this episode when I do the interview. You listen, I'm embarrassed. Don't bring it up if you know me in person. But it was actually really crazy and profound to hear someone who has such a similar story to mine and like really realize because I know like in my brain that I am not the only person that has a story like this, but to actually get to connect and talk with and meet someone who has a similar story was just really impactful and really, really encouraging. So if you don't like crying, like to me, sometimes when people cry, I get really nervous. So if you get really nervous when you listen to this, I get it. Okay. The other thing I keep thinking about is what Lori says when she talks about anxiety. And I just want to ask you guys to lean into that. If you have been following kind of along on my personal Instagram, we are doing a deep dive this next season into becoming the non-anxious presence of Christ. What does that look like in our lives? How do we pursue throwing off anxiety or stepping aside and saying, I am anxious about this, but I'm not going to let it stop me. And then engaging with people around us. I think it's really difficult. At least it's really difficult for me in my own life, but I can't help but feel as if this is a theme that the Holy Spirit keeps bringing up in my life. And it's something that I'm like, okay, I want to be a good witness to others through not just what I say, and what I do, but what I embody, right? When we walk into a room, do people look at us and say, that person, I don't know what it is about them, but man, I can talk to them and I feel safe and I feel rested And there. This is a tense situation, but man, their presence, it's calming. 
I think God wants to grow and cultivate that in us. And so when I heard what Lori shared about anxiety, it was just like, man, yeah, that is really important and makes a lot of sense. And I want to be a non-anxious presence in this world. So if you're like, what the heck, what are you talking about? I want to hear more. (laughs) You can check out all that stuff, the non-anxious presence of Christ on Instagram at bun on my head, or you can just look up Brenna Blaine. Pretty easy to find. I'd love for you to join us in becoming the non-anxious presence of Christ as a community. And lastly, before we jump into this episode, if you have listened to any episode of Can I Say That Show in the last year, in 2021, and it was encouraging or it was challenging or it helped you in some way, I would love to just ask you to share maybe one or two sentences about that episode on one of your social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be, and tag us in it. We'd love to look back over the year with you guys. All right, enough of me. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, LGBTQ Youth with Lori Creek. So before we get started, can you give us an overview of your testimony and how that plays into the ministry that you do today? Otherwise, what does Lori Creek have to do with LGBTQ youth? Yeah, happy to give that 4,000 foot overview. Uh, so how I like to share my stories, I like to begin with the God-shaped hole in all of our hearts. It's St. Augustine, you referred to it, you've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. But instead of just saying like, oh, you have a hole in your heart, you need Jesus, the end. I really like to name uh, what's inside of that emptiness, that void, the etern- the abyss, as Pascal called it. And we like to name it with core needs is what we call them. And these are good needs that God has placed in us from before the fall for things like belonging to be seen and known and chosen and desired. And we feel those echoes of Eden even now. For example, I hate dodgeball, but I love being picked first for dodgeball because I want to be seen and chosen and known and loved. So we all have those good needs. And then Uh, The fall hits us, and so now we have a natural to us default predisposition or orientation, if you will, to get the good needs of our heart met in ways that don't actually satisfy us and don't glorify God. We are all born that way. So I have some church acceptable and unacceptable ways that I want to get those good needs met in ways that don't actually satisfy and don't glorify God. Performance and people-pleasing, the church is all about those, as long as I'm trying to perform and people please in the right way and to the right people. Uh, And then I felt from a very young age, um, an attraction toward my same sex. And I didn't notice it at five years old and say, this is my version of sexual brokenness that I need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ, like everyone else is called to do. I was, I grew up in the nineties, early two thousands, where the conversation regarding anything LGBTQ or quote unquote homosexuality was there's a war on marriage. There's a gay agenda ready to come murder babies in their cribs. That was, that was the tenor of the conversation, at least is how I heard it growing up in my Christian home. So I didn't like surrender it. I just tried to fragment myself so I wouldn't feel it. Then I end up in college and I am a Christian 
college and I'm that annoying Christian leader girl in college. Like the one that did everything, led everything. That was me. So you hear some of my performance and people pleasing. So I was pretty baffled when I found myself in a secret same-sex relationship with one of my best friends who was also a Christian. And what started out as a friendship ended up in a secret same-sex relationship. My dad was a pastor at that time. And it led me to a place where I was either going to kill myself because I was, I honestly believed God's design for marriage, but I thought I had to be straight to be in the church. So if that was the requirement and the narrative in the early 2000s now was only ex-gay, which for people who don't know what that means, it's like you are this, the storyline for homosexuals, quote unquote, was you are attracted to same sex. You have tons of gay sex. You do lots of drugs, probably. And then you come to Christ and you're magically straight. That was the narrative. And so I was super baffled because I was like, I love Jesus. And yet here I am. I also love this girl. I don't understand. So I was either going to kill myself because to be a Christian meant straight in my mind, or I was going to come out as a lesbian atheist. So I was like, well, apparently in order to engage in this relationship, I have to abandon my faith. So someone came alongside me. Uh, Technically, she was a counselor. And I went to seek her out because I was suicidal and depressed. And one of my dear friends uh, said, you should probably talk to someone about that, which was true. And this woman was more like, she was just one of those people, you know who you meet and you're like, they know God. Like they don't even seem to touch the floor with their feet. They know God. And so she, we would talk, of course, depression, anxiety, all of that, but she really helped me to start to name what was going on under the surface of my heart those core needs that I talked about. She never, ever pulled out Leviticus 18, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6. She didn't never bashed me over the head. She just saw me in pain and wanted to help me not become straight, but to encounter a living God. And so she would ask me questions like, Lori, even the, and this is month, this is now months in, this was not conversation one. Lori, even the ideal perfect woman in your head, what do you what do you picture her giving you? Which is such a good question. If you're walking alongside people who are tempted, Matt will still ask me that now. I'm married to a dude now. That's another conversation. But what do you what do you envision happening? Because we're always writing a storyline, no matter our temptation. And I I started saying not sexual words. I said heart words, which surprised me. I said I want to be seen and known and loved. I want someone to just look me in the eyes and say, I see you and love you as you are. And she looked me in the eyes, which is such the antidote to shame, seeing someone in their mess and loving them as they are. And she said, those are good things. You're just running to the wrong place. And now the right place was not to a dude. That would be idolatry too. I said, well, don't say the answer is Jesus because I know Jesus. I'm like a super Christian. So mm." (laughs) she said, well, the answer is Jesus. But I didn't realize, Brenna, that I had a lot of barriers between those good needs in my heart and the need meter of my soul, who I knew cognitively. And I also had experiences with him, but I had lies. I didn't know I could take the pain I felt sitting in church, feeling and seeing the hypocrisy that we are so accepting of heterosexual men wrestling with pornography addiction. And yet out of the same words of men who had confessed in front on the stage, 
heterosexual pornography addiction would come words of vitriol for people like me. I could take that church pastor pain to Jesus. I didn't know that. So she came alongside me, not with some weird orientation change garbage therapy. She came alongside me with good old fashioned spiritual disciplines. The two biggest ones being lament and listening prayer. And I tell you what, I encountered the God of the Bible who I knew in my head, but I didn't know in this place of wrestling at all. He, he wasn't ashamed of me. He did not hate me. He wasn't disgusted by me like I saw so frequently in the church. He was so an ever-present help in trouble in this wrestling. And I fell in love with him. It's so cliche, but I truly did. Like I, I, It was a series of months like getting to know him in this place of especially lament, pouring out my pain to him and experiencing him and listening prayer, um, biblical listening prayer. And um, love in Ephesians 3 says, it's so great, we'll never fully understand it. But it says, may you know this love that is so great, you'll never fully understand it. But then you'll be filled with the fullness of life and power that comes from God. God's love empowers us to die to self daily. And so that's what I started then in this love relationship. And that's what I'm still doing today. It is so I'm like sitting here fighting tears because I'm like, Brenna, you're doing an interview. You need to stop. (laughs) But it is so, um, oh my gosh, it's just so crazy to hear someone else who has such a similar story. Yes, yes. So thank you. I'm still coming out of like a, a place of being like, there's other people who have the same story or have similar stories yeah. who have chosen to have a a sexual ethic that kind of goes against the world and, and it's a lonely place. And so to hear, gosh, just just to hear your story is um so wildly encouraging and it and yes, yeah, so thank you. <laughs> so with your story and now you're like you said you're married now you're an adult you have kids what do you do for ministry what does your ministry look like so in the middle of that uh wrestling with killing myself or coming out i prayed a prayer that i didn't know would be planting seeds into the ministry i'm running now and it was god if i get through this which i truly didn't know i said god Will you help me to be a voice of encouragement for even one other person? And so I started praying and I didn't make it this magical number, whatever. But literally seven years later, uh, I started a ministry called Whole In My Heart Ministries, which you hear me uh, refer to that uh, in my story. And um, we equip the church with a gospel-centered approach to marriage and sexuality. And so we do a lot of teaching and training uh, around the country and sometimes around the world. And we do a podcast. And um, I-, I didn't know. It started as a blog. I had no idea there were there was such a need for this. I had a sense. And I didn't know there were other people like me out there who were living uh, biblically uh, to a biblical sexual ethic and still struggling with it. Because again, the predominant narrative was ex-gay. Now you're straight. So I didn't, there was no Wesley Hill. There's nothing when I was choosing Jesus. But in 2015, they were just starting to come out of the woodwork. So we just thought, boy, the church could use some help here. And in 2015, same-sex marriage passed and churches came a-knocking. So the the name of our episode today is LGBTQ Youth. 
And as we're getting started, I'm sure we have people who look at the title of this episode and wonder, are there really LGBTQ youth in our churches, specifically meaning non-affirming churches? What can you tell us about that? Well, if you know the Gallup poll that came out in 2020, fall of 17.2% or one out of six Gen Z, so that's the generation coming up, identifies as LGBTQ. And there's other surveys that say more than that, but that's the, the Gallup one is the most uh, predominant. So people may say, oh, they're not in our churches. They're in your churches. They're just silent. On average, these um, LGBTQ people are silent for about five years before they come out. And so they're quiet and they're watching and they're listening. So yeah, they're in our churches. This question is pretty broad, but it was the most asked question from our audience. And I find it to be one that non-affirming Christians struggle with the most. But how do we make our churches, our youth groups, our community groups, a safe place for LGBTQ people? And is that even possible without affirming a non-traditional sexual ethic? Yeah, this is a huge, huge question. And my husband and I, we have a couple hour training we do just on this question. And then we actually like flesh it out with an all day training and you could just keep learning forever. So I'll just do some real brief overview Uh, To that last question, is it possible to do without affirming a non-traditional sexual ethic? Or in other words, is it possible to be a welcoming and safe place for LGBTQ people without saying same-sex marriage, we're for it? So Andrew Marin, he wrote the book Us Versus Us. He did the most widely approved on both sides, for lack of a better term, of this conversation survey of LGBTQ people in the church. Now, his book was published in 2016, so you got to give it a little grace as far as could some of these numbers be less than they were then? Yeah, because of the hostility that has come since 2016. Uh, But 86% of LGBTQ people were raised in a church, and of those 86%, 76 want to go back versus I think it's something like 72% of cisgender, so aligned with their biological sex, heterosexual people who were raised in the church, only 9% of cishet people will go back. 76 LGBTQ. What the heck? And now then you're like, okay, but would they require a change in theology to go back? Not according to this like highly affirmed study. 92% of those who would go back wouldn't require a change in theology. That's bananas. Now, again, that's 2016. So, but even if the numbers 50% wouldn't require, is it not worth it to both hold to a biblical traditional ethic while trying to ask the question that's super valid that you asked, how do we make our churches safe places? Uh, And now like the question is, okay, what would they require to come back He doesn't answer that exactly, but one of the reasons they left in the first place was bad relationships with other people. So it's less about our theology and more about how we hold it. So how do we do it? It has to, it's top down and down up. Everyone needs to be involved in this, but leadership, you know, we could probably have a separate podcast on how to go about, you know, making your church a safe place by having things like covenants statements of belief. And the phrase I often use is kindness. Clarity is kindness. So being really vague is actually not kind to people who work for you or people who attend. When I'm looking for a church and maybe you too, Brenna, when you're looking for a church, I'm looking for a place that's like, this is what we believe, but I'm not going to be a jerk about it. 
So that's kind to me as well, who could also identify as LGBTQ. So we got to think about everyone who's in this. So clarity from the top down, but then, you know, just for the regular, regular Joe who's in uh, at church, uh, the regular parishioner, as well as those who are in more of a vocational ministerial context, here's how you be safe is you talk to LGBTQ people like a normal person. It's so interesting. You know, you could have to your church people who come male, female, and they're like, yeah, we're living together. And here's our daughter. How do you talk to them? Like a normal person. So like, I feel like there's so much of this conversation when I'm training. I'm like, everyone just breathe. It's going to be okay. And, and fight as you're talking to them talking and like a normal human being as as you would want to be talked to you you fight the urge to have to say but i don't hold it i don't believe same-sex marriage is okay like that anxiety is not of the lord you do not have to say that every other sentence just being a kind human being is not affirmation of same-sex marriage then if you're walking with people i'm just going to say a few more things and feel free to dive in at any point but just as you're walking with people, as you're getting to know them, we get so caught up on behavior change. And the phrase that I like to remember is, do you remember order of operations from math class, in like algebra? Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally or something like parentheses, exponents, blah, blah, blah. So try and be sensitive to God's order of operations. And I'll tell you what, when I'm every single LGBTQ person that I have walked with, and it's been dozens and dozens, if not hundreds at this point, at some level, dozens and dozens of more be really closely walking. 0% of the time has God's primary first place where he wants to move is their sexual habits or their gender wrestling. He wants to show up there, but almost, I'd say 99.9% of the time, if I'm remembering, God wants to have them know his deep love for them. He wants them to know it's unconditional. And you may think, well, now I'm affirming same-sex marriage. How, I I guess I would just implore those who are listening, who are like getting panicky because the behavior, the behavior, I would implore you to look into your own life and journey and ask questions about, ask the question, why are you still following Jesus? Is it his rules or is it his love when you've failed at holding to the rules? Is it his unbelievable grace? So I'm not saying you say nothing. And again, this is why we have an all day training. So we have so many. I'm just saying the anxiety we feel to change behaviors is not God's anxiety. He is obsessed with the heart. Because out of a heart that knows the love of God, the fruit of that is, God, I want to please you. And and so the behaviors come out of that. Now, do you never talk about it? No, you you, you do talk about it at some point. But I I would just, I think we need to remember what what tethers us to the Lord is is his undeserved grace and love for us. Well, going off of that, because that really is a huge question. How can we discern those moments when we are simply called to love people versus when we're called to share our beliefs about biblical sexuality? Right. So 
It's a valid and wonderful question. And and again, I'm I'm going to answer it with a series of questions for us to reflect on before and as we're engaging someone. The first one is what's your relationship to the person? And and that's, you know, if you're only interacting with this conversation online, I would I would I would beg you to stop. I would I've I asked someone recently who I saw post something very exclamation pointy about gender recently and I I knew them and so I texted them I didn't comment and I said hey I, do you know anyone who wrestles with gender and have you and this would be the next question what have you studied so what's your relationship to the person and what have you studied I said I I would just I'm begging you before you say one more status and again I have a relationship with this person with whom I was texting I said can you please read embodied by Preston Sprinkle and can you please get to know someone who actually has wrestled with their gender, because I, I would guess your your status is going to be different, at least less exclamation points and yelling, if you actually knew someone. So what's your relationship? Now, if you're a parent, you, you have a certain responsibility to speak truth in love. And I hope there's this good relationship where they can hear you. Uh, or if you're a pastor, a youth pastor, a mentor, someone who, you know, you are, you're called, you're in a position of spiritual influence. The, the amount of times you speak truth is going to be, you know, you have more responsibility. But again, responsibility doesn't have to go hand in hand with anxiety. You don't have to be anxious. God is never biting his nails. He's not anxious. He's not enraged about same-sex marriage and gender. He may, his heart is grieved. And I think there's a holy justice he has. But I, I would just encourage you as you're even in a position of spiritual influence, just, just how, how are you saying it? And that's something, you know, I think it's Keller who says, we're not only responsible for what we say, but how we say it. And I would add in, and when we say it, which that goes, that nods back to the relationship question. Um, And then this also goes, so next question, I have two more to consider uh, while you're asking these questions. When do I speak truth or love? What's your motivation? Why, why are you saying this? And and this, this, uh, I'm looking back at that question of anger or is it heartbreak? So I'll have people who push back, well, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and da, 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 da. you know, they're, they're getting all worked up. And I, I say, I hear you. And you know what? I get worked up at times, but I, I, here's what I would encourage all of us as believers, no matter what hot button, whatever, I'm sick of that phrase at this point, hot button issue is going on is we need to remember we are Christians, little Christs. And where did Jesus, what did he do often? He got away to the lonely places to pray. And I would guess some of that prayer was very much like the lament Psalms, where he was like, God, these people, like these disciples, God, are you sure? You know, we get a hint of that as he's grieving over Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you together like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you stone the prophets. Like you, you hear his grief. And so instead of us taking our angry fingers to the internet, can we please open our hands and go before a loving and just and holy father and say, God, my heart is grieved. You pour, it's like the top frothy rage part of our of our life latte 
dump that out on the Lord and then see what is underneath that. And I'm going to guess underneath your anger, which is a mask emotion, unless it's a hundred percent righteous anger, which it's hard for us as humans to only feel righteous anger. I bet underneath our anger is sad and fear and fear. God, I'm afraid. And invite him into that. And then do some, if there's a forgiveness work, were you rejected? Were you hated? Are you feeling forced to say X, Y, Z at work, which I understand have empathy for. But you guys, my dear ones listening, we are not called to rage on the world, but to love the world and have our arms outstretched in the shape of the cross, even as they're killing us. But we are called to love and forgive. And I tell you what, I'm in a season right now of doing some forgiveness work of the church that I've been very hurt. And I, I, though, I don't want to step on one more stage until my heart has grieved it, gotten my anger out, and I have forgiven so that I have love for the church. Do we have love for our enemies? I think that's part of the package deal. So what's our motivation? And then my last one was, have you forgiven your, the world, your neighbor, and your enemy? As we're speaking truth and love, whew, it's so hard. But your, your tone, your words are going to be seasoned with salt and not vitriol. If it is done after we've done this grief, lament, uh, and forgiveness process. And the world's going to be able to hear it better. You and I have very similar stories. And a question that I get asked often is, what do I wish I would have heard in church growing up, especially when I was in high school wrestling? And something that I usually say is, I wish there's more of a language of inclusion. And so I'm curious because this has been like your work. What is the impact that using a a language of inclusion has on LGBTQs, meaning like when we have conversations about sex and sexuality, especially in our youth groups, and we say to kids, if it's a girl's small group, instead of just saying, what boys do you like? And then having a conversation being like, hey, what's your sexuality? How are you struggling? Do you struggle with any sexual sin? Leaving the door open rather than like guiding people into heterosexual sin. How does that impact teens? I wish I had statistics for you right now to to share, but I can imagine myself and those who I've I've worked with, you know, around the country and world now, just something internally in them going, like I, I don't have to hide here. I I can just be honest and and share whatever's going on. So I think the fruit of that can only be good, which I understand there can be parents' anxiety, like, oh, I don't, my kids can't be talking about sexuality, especially that sexuality, like somehow it's contagious. And I just encourage, man, that helps the, the straight kids have compassion for people who wrestle with things that are different from them. And it helps the not straight kids to feel like, oh, I can talk about my version of sexual brokenness here. It is, it is my top goal for youth groups that this conversation gets boring. I just wish it would. Like it would just be like, oh, that's your version of sexual brokenness. Okay, well, let's, thanks for sharing. Let's pray about that. Don't, do you wish that? Yes. Yes. I, when I look at my boys, I want my story to be an a normal story to them, not something wild. We got a lot of questions from our listeners, but I got a a really specific one that I've actually, (laughs) I've heard and I wanted to read it because I had a conversation with 
a few people uh, a couple weeks ago about this really specific thing, but I'll just read the question and we'll dive into it. They said, I'm curious when it's worth trying to correct or push back on incorrect labeling of Christian sexual ethic as homophobic. For example, won't eat at Chick-fil-A because they're homophobic or labels a Christian school as transphobic because they won't let girls play boys lacrosse. Does it just create unnecessary conflict and come across as defensive or combative to point out that those things aren't necessarily true or better to just listen and understand why they would feel that way? So this is a really valid question. And um, I'm going to start just by saying the context matters with which you're going to engage this online. I have a hard time, unless you're willing to type paragraphs where you're starting, I hear you, this sounds hard, get really empathetic, and then you're going to stay in the lane of that conversation for a while back and forth. I would encourage not not doing defensive work online, but as much as you can, take it offline and, and maybe maybe engage the conversation. But if, if you're sensing the spirit's nudge, but here's how I would encourage you to, to say it, is to get in their shoes. Like I've had people, people who I knew well, uh, one person said, I don't see you as a human being because you hold to a biblical sexual ethic. So affirming person, I, I don't see you as a human. And I was so hurt and angry. And this was a face-to-face thing. This was not online. This was a person I knew. And I grieved it. And I took it to the Lord. And I said, God, will you give me love for this person? And I, as I prayed that over about a week, God gave me love for this person. And the form of the love came in putting myself in their shoes. I was like, they didn't wake up one day and be like, boy, I just want to hate Lori Creek. It was, I believe what they're saying here that that god that uh two people should love each other and i'm picturing a 13 year old this is from their perspective teenage boy who feels these same sex desires and he just wants to have a boyfriend and not kill himself and she's saying that that's not okay and that god has the stamp of approval on her like they literally see these little chickens behind them these little gay boys and girls and uh, LGBTQ people, trans kids, and they see themselves as justified in defending them from me. And I got like tears in my eyes. I'm like, oh my word, if I truly believed that, I would hate me too. So if you can put yourself in their shoes and be like, okay, they're not just waking up and being like, I just want to make some people mad. I probably not. They really believe this. And then whether they're Christians or not, we need to do more than just get anxious about this conversation. I'm trying to remove anxiety everywhere I go because it really shuts down our prefrontal cortex and prevents us from even having civil conversation. So here's what helps me in something like this is I have to go up. What's the gospel narrative? God created the world good. The fall broke it, distorted everything, including our sexuality And then Jesus came, he had this rescue plan for us that he came to restore and redeem. And he is calling little Christ, little Christians to live differently in this new kingdom of God, to to encourage, invoke shalom. So instead of just making it from back to Eden, we're trying to make it the new heavens and the new earth, the new city of God. 
I believe it was Augustine who talks about that the most. So we're trying to work with God to restore and redeem and to create, to make this kingdom of God thing. We're working in partnership with the Holy Spirit to do this new thing, right? That includes our sexuality. And in our sexuality, marriage between a man and a woman is not just nice and good and cute. It's when a man and a woman, as different as they are, die to self daily to love someone who is so different from them. Ephesians 5 says it is an illustration of how Christ loved the church. So marriage is not cute. It's not about finding your person. It's two different people dying to self daily and showing a picture of how how different is God from man? So different. And yet the whole meta narrative, including this like Edenic, like bringing it back to this, the Eden, nodding to Eden, as well as the new heavens and the new earth, to working with God, to invoke shalom on the earth, this new kingdom thing. In addition to that, it's this beautiful love story. That's how he goes about it. Is he, the whole story of the Bible is God will marry us. And so our marriage is weird that it's only between a man and a woman, but it's on purpose, a man and a woman, because it speaks to God, how different he is from us, how much he loves us. And not only that, but only a man and a woman can produce the fruit of children, which again, is not just a nice thing to do. It's a metaphor too. It's a metaphor that God wants to produce fruit with and through us. So Guys, all that stuff I just said is nuts. That's really weird that we live in this this other kingdom. Like we we live in this other world. We're we're aliens and strangers in this world. Well, well, we're actually on planet Earth. That's bananas. So again, if we have empathy for our quote unquote enemy who's calling Chick Fil A, you know, homophobic and the school's transphobic, I have empathy now because I'm like I would think that too if I was them. And I, I kind of laugh with like joy because I'm like, I know we are weird. So I guess just take that in mind as you, if you're choosing to approach the conversation, I, for me, that's, I'm like, I don't have to fight you. I, I just don't have to because it is weird. You're right. Maybe we have some people who are listening who have stories like mine and yours who find themselves same-sex attracted but have decided to live according to a traditional sexual ethic. So either remaining celibate or marrying the opposite sex How can same-sex attracted people be a bridge between non-affirming heterosexual Christians and the LGBTQ community? I think I would have answered this question differently uh, even a few years ago than I would now. I I haven't been in this gig for like the longest, definitely not. Uh, But it's it's been a minute. Seven years is, is a minute. So I would say, first of all, Ask the Lord, what, what are you calling me to? What, what kind of a bridge? Because I agree that it, it, you can be a bridge, but how does that look? Like you guys don't have to go write, write, write a book like, like I have. You, you don't have to start a podcast like we have. You, you, don't have to do, you don't have to have a huge platform to be a really helpful resource if God's calling you to that. I, I just am, and I'm saying it this way is I just want to remove the pressure from LGBTQ, same sex attracted people wrestling with gender dysphoria and who are holding to a traditional sexual ethic. I want to remove the pressure from you to ha- from having to change the church. That's a lot of pressure. 
And, and sometimes it seems very unfair to me that there is that pressure for people like us to create the spaces for our own embodied selves to feel safe. I, I really, I just, I want to look at the cisgender heterosexual people and, and beg you in some ways to please do the work. Please lean in because we're wrestling with our own stuff internally. Not that we're all about to like go have an affair. I'm just saying it's a, it's a very odd thing to have to get on a stage and convince the audience to be a safe space for you. That's really odd. So I, I think I would have been very enthusiastic about this question been like, yes, we can all do it. But some years in behind me, and some miles and wounds in my heart, honestly. That's where I'm speaking from this space of just ask the Lord and start small. If you're called to it, let's say you're even called to a platform like uh, mine or bigger, like to yours, Brenda, any, any of us in this really odd space, you still need your people. You need a rooted community around you who's going to love and accept you as you are and who if you start falling apart you can go to them and say hey I'm falling the heck apart so start small and and that could even be hard because you're like why do I have to create even that small community I know it is hard it's hard to teach it's hard to teach almost everywhere I go so I I see you but that's going to really benefit your heart and soul for the long run dear ones so I would say that lament and forgive along the way. And then you can be a bridge study and share your story. But I, I really feel like part I want to emphasize is ask the Lord and, and you don't have to, you don't have to. I know some people are thinking about how you mentioned at the beginning, now you're married to a dude. <laughs> and so before we end, can you share with us about the book that you and Matt, your husband, co-authored together? So thank you for asking. After I fell in love with Jesus, I was either going to move to one of the coasts and get my doctorate and become like an English professor because I think that's what all... <laughs> lesbian women become or something (laughs) it's a stereotype and it's often true okay but I was gonna surrender to Jesus I was happy and single and I sensed God's hand on my shoulder saying I have someone for you through a series of extraordinary events including Matt's house getting struck by lightning which you can read about in our book an impossible marriage I God had my heart not connect to all men that would be weird but he had my heart connect to one man Matt And um, that was the start of our marriage. And then about six, seven, eight years in, which is often when marriage can get really tough for people, I had a suppressed memory of sexual assault uh, resurface for myself. And it magnetized to my default attractions to the same sex, which never went away. I just was happily surrendering them. But it magnetized and asked the question, what do you want? And I didn't know if I wanted my marriage anymore. And um, so that's the start of our book is me wrestling with staying or leaving. And really the rest of the book as it goes back and forth in the midst of our story is really asking and answering the question, what is marriage and what is the purpose of sex in marriage? And um, it is very, very real. (laughs) And um, I believe really hopeful. I've been really thankful for how God has used that book. How can we find your ministry and you online for people who want to hear more? Sure. I mean, um, I'm, I'm taking a little 
uh, social media sabbatical, but you can find me there. Just look for my name on Instagram. You can find me at lauricreeg.com. And our podcast is Whole in My Heart. Just look up our podcast. We're interviewing such amazing people all the time. Brenna, we should definitely get you on. It's been, that's one of the highlights of my life is talking to these amazing people in both the sexuality and gender field. But really, we just want to hear gritty, good gospel stories. Well, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the conversation. Brenna and I hope you found it both helpful and relevant. If you have any questions or thoughts, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at Can I Say That Show. We almost always use Instagram stories to ask questions pertaining to the next episode leading up to the recording. So keep a lookout for such in case you have any burdening questions on that topic and for the opportunity to potentially have your questions asked. Either way, Thanks again for listening, and as Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, test everything, hold fast what is true.